Welcome back to Leadership Legacy and Love. This is Russell Fugit. Um, I want to thank you. You've been rocking with me these last few months. It's been a journey for all of us in this time and in this space. And um, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, I am here. <laughs> all of us are here and in good health. And uh, just trying to uh, interpret and understand where we are and what we're doing, what we should be doing. In so many ways, that hasn't necessarily changed. It's just that the environment around us has changed, right? And perhaps the environment around us has changed to force us to understand what we're supposed to be doing a little bit differently or a little bit better, right? Understand it more powerfully. Um, loving our families, loving our neighbor, um, being more diligent, more thoughtful, more patient, more kind. Um, and those things are hard. And, and there's so many things we see in the media where folks aren't engaging in those things. Um, and I'm just still fascinated by the, the me culture. Don't tread on my rights and my freedoms um, culture um, that exists. Um, and there are people who claim to worship a God who laid down his life for us and asked us to be prepared to do the same in many ways and to sacrifice and to think of others before ourselves. And yet so many around us seem unable to do that. And there's so many things I want to try to cram into this episode. So just bear with me a little bit. Um, leadership, legacy and love. I'm going to try to leave some legacy and always try to leave some love and, and demonstrate some leadership in that process. And of course, it's never easy, especially when you're challenged, when your day-to-day -day is challenged, when your routines are challenged, when your life is disrupted as, as all of ours have been, and as mine was even as recently as last week when there was a COVID scare at our da daughter's childcare facility. Uh, uh, staff person apparently had symptoms got a test the test came back negative and we're back to normal this week <laughs> whatever the normal almost i'm sick of using that word but just this constant upheaval nothing is very predictable and of course that always forces those of us who believe in christ jesus to force forces us to lean on that because that's the only thing that we can rely on that is predictable that is consistent right this world is is fading away right it's not consistent it's going to change it's going to be beautiful moments and it's going to be ugly moments and at times right now we're seeing a lot of both right and we're forced to pay attention and perhaps even just because we have more time to pay attention we're we're paying attention and so I'm just you know trying to understand and think about what I shared in my episode about having a democracy, a democratic republic, if we can keep it. <clears throat> and I'm just been struck by a few things. And um, I should have written this down, but it's been on my mind. But it's, it's really three high level things I'm just deeply concerned about, about our citizenry, my fellow citizens. And I was part of an organization 20 years ago about called United Leaders, which is a political service organization founded by some good friends of mine out of the Kennedy School at Harvard. And I was in the first class with some amazing leaders um, who were in that class and have gone, gone on to do a variety of great things. And, um, you know, really, you know, came to understand a lot about service and um, 
about um, political leadership. And, and one thing we learned during that summer of 2001 was about the, the need for civics education. And so I just think this is such a, a miseducation, number one, and there's three points here. Number one, miseducation of so many people in our society, a lack of education, and my wife has just been befuddled. And she'll probably blush that I'm mentioning her, but she's just been befuddled as a white woman in America to have grown up with such a very limited history of this country. Um, taught in the school system and even taught in her home, and that's not for her and not for me even. We both have made it clear in our discussions not to disparage her parents, right, who worked very hard to raise five amazing people. <laughs> um, and... and and that's not easy in and of itself. Um, but that kind of takes me to the, to the second piece. And I'm going to hope I can remember the third one. But the second piece um, is just the rigor, right? That there, there's a lack of rigor in our society. And um, I think for black folks, there's a level of rigor that if you're going to survive this American experiment, and this is not necessarily talked about in these terms, but I think it's implied. I think you come to realize that at a certain point in your life, if you're a black American and you're going to survive this American uh, experiment, there's a certain level of rigor, there's a certain uh, intelligence you have to have, a certain level of wit that you have to have about yourself. And um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, an amazing author um, and reporter, um, whose father I've had the chance to meet a few times, um, who's been on the board of the Reginald F. Lewis Museum and, and um, has a, a black publishing and printing company in Baltimore as well, Mr. Paul Coates, um, who I admire for so many reasons. Of course, his son has done so many amazing things. But one of the quotes that he said about rigor was that he would not trade being black for anything because it requires a certain level of rigor, right? It requires you to be a critical thinker, right? In order just to survive. And, and that can vary, right? We don't have to have the most education you may even not have any education, but to some extent, you're going to have to have a rigor around understanding how this society is structured when it comes to, to dealing with white people and to dealing with white supremacy in a society that's going to see you as second class and treat you that way, whether it comes to trying to get a job, whether it comes to law enforcement, whether it comes to housing. You have to have a rigor and a level of a wit about you, a level of emotional intelligence to be able to cope and handle and some methodologies and some strategies to kind of navigate this system that is not designed for you and is in fact designed in many ways and in many places for you to not have access, right? So there's a lack of, of, of rigor I see um, in the mainstream um, that that's going to uh, challenge us. And, um, you know, that, that just, can, so you have the miseducation um, and you, you have the, the lack of rigor and, and then I, I don't know if, if I'm going to articulate this as best as I would like to, um, but I think uh, just the, the lack of really understanding how to be in community would probably be my third piece, right? And I just have seen it and I've even seen the experience a little bit in my family just in terms of, you know, the stay-at-home order, just in terms of, you know... Um, you know, wondering what's going on with this virus and not seeing a deep impact um, in, in, in certain communities or in people not having friends in their network or family members who've contracted this virus or died from this virus and, and then really understanding how to, uh, to be in community 
and to sacrifice right yourself to uh, for the greater good right for society and to, to understand that you're not in control right it's that controlling spirit right that that we have in this country and that we believe we're the best and we're had manifest destiny to, to rule these lands from sea to shining sea and I just think these things are what keep us away from being able to reimagine America and when I refer to these three things by and large I'm referring to my white brothers and sisters who, who I've observed in various ways having these challenges the, the rigor right the, the miseducation about the history the brutal history the violent history of this country and how things were structured and why um, and, th and then really being able to have a, a, a sacrificial communal spirit I've named this episode beginning again and I do that to honor um, someone who I'm coming to deeply admire um, Dr. Eddie Glaude professor at Princeton University African Studies religion professor used to be at Bowdoin one of my NESCAC schools New England uh, small colleges where I attended Trinity College and his new book is that title beginning again so I'm taking that title and I've only got I couldn't get the paperbacks uh, or hard cop copy so I started I downloaded the audiobook I cannot wait to figure out how to get my hands on I still need to get the print and I intend to because I'm gonna have to reread it but I'm doing the audiobook and I've gotten through the first like three chapters I need to make that space again to to, to really li listen I don't want I don't want to listen to it when I'm running around chasing my kids in the house like I put a podcast on a lot of times I'll listen to things but I really want to sit and be able to listen and then she get the book and read um and I've you know been become a fan of uh of uh James Baldwin in recent years um my professors in college were more Ralph Ellison folks and so I've kind of come back to Baldwin and kind of understanding the difference I feel like I'm going back to some of my my black American political studies from my undergraduate years my dear late professor and advisor Jerry Watts who was in that realm and having the chance to meet Cornell West a few times and hear him speak a number of times in that same time frame um, you know post Clinton presidency well into Clinton so late 90s early 2000s right so really kind of having time to invest that thinking um, and, and uh, Eddie Glaude's critique um, in his book which I highly recommend and I, I feel like it, it's probably more important than how to be an anti-racist from a fact of understanding how we're going to shift America, right? How to be anti-racist, you know, gives you some tools and some language, I think. And I'll say some, not to minimize Brother Ibrahim Kendi's work, but gives you some tools analysis, I think, to understand racism, right? And how um, it, it plays a part in your life and the structures of society. And that's critical. But I've been, as a political science major and a, and a shotgun political scientist still, um, who's practiced from time to time <laughs> in the political sphere. Um, how do we shift America? And again, these are the things that concern me amongst white Americans is the lack of rigor um, to understand, interpret, and be critical thinking about our society, the miseducation, and then the inability to, to be, get beyond I. Don't tread on me. Don't force your stuff on me. I and me, right? And how do we get beyond you know our comfort my pastor says you know love beyond our preferences right how do we love beyond our preferences to form a better more perfect union and i think about reparations and so many things that i've even think i had a five point outline i've thought about writing and thought about i haven't had time to give it the thought i'd like to give it 
Um, and so I've been, I've been struggling to not just want to sit down in my basement for a day or two and just put my political science hat on and just start writing um, more and more. Um, but how do we really reshape you know, this, this country and what um, Dr. Glaude talks about and what James Baldwin talked about was the lie um, very profoundly. Um, you know, the, the, the lie that, that basically fundamentally very clearly that white lives matter more than black lives and therefore black lives being subjugated to white lives is how our society is shaped and how many things in you know, our, our feelings, our perceptions, our policies are shaped even in ways we don't always comprehend and I think, again, black folks comprehend because we've had to survive it being in a subjugated position historically. So, you know, do we have the rigor and education and, and, the, and the true love of community, one, two, three, to really be able to disavow that life from a white American who, who kind of growing up, you know, breathing that, that oxygen. It's, it's in everything, right? It's in the air, right? Literally, um, in terms of, you know, how ingrained it is into our culture and our society here. So there's just so much work to do. Um, in that space. And so, you know, one thing I've been thinking deeply about is there's so many lanes that I could fill, right? And I love the basketball analogy coming down the lane because I wanted to be a slam dunk and um, just been leaning in to this season. And it's just so complex. I'm going to even step away from the, the, the racial element of it and just feel the pain and I have to have a niece and a nephew who are in this, the demo, the post-millennial, I wasn't just the, the, the Gen Z demographic and what America they have grown up in. I think about the last 20 years and I think about my life in the last 20 years, which is a little less than half of my life at this point. And I remember, you know, friends in college in fall of 2000 having job offers and then at the beginning of 2001, when the dot-com bubble burst, losing those job offers. I remember that. And of course, we all remember 9-11, September 11th, 2001, and the shock that was to the system. Then I definitely remember, of course, 2008, 2009, the housing collapse, the economic uh, collapse, the, the so-called Great Recession. And then here we are again in 2020 with... Um, before COVID, growing inequality, um, growing inequality in outcomes economically and healthcare, growing wealth gap in our society, still folks fighting for a living wage um, on down the list. And then you have COVID, which what I'm calling this the great, uh, or the recession, I've been calling this the recession depression. That's the, the term I've given it. Feel free to use it, maybe we'll catch on give me credit or don't give me credit. I'll just smile if I ever hear it on TV one day or read it in the newspaper because I think we're heading into, you know, for the next couple years, we're going to be in some form of a recession that's just going to be a lasting state of play. And um, our Congress's inability to you know, provide more funding and support and our government's inability to provide the proper support and resources to get COVID under control for at least the next, you know, 12 months. We're going to be in a permanent state of play where there's going to be instability in the marketplace and the job market. And um, those are the top, I think, in certain environments will we'll sustain. But we're going to be in a, a, a sustained recession that's going to have deep and lasting effects. And um, so I wonder, I, I feel for those young people, that multicultural group of young people who are in the show protesting, who are fighting um, for black lives and for so many different things 
I think there's the young people who grew up with the internet, you know, aren't as miseducated, right? There's a certain level of rigor that comes when the world's information is at your fingertips. It's kind of hard to ignore facts when you can kind of do your own homework and get your own, where I think, you know, a lot of folks, including myself, are, you know, turning on cable news every night, although I'm reading newspapers all day, every day, but a lot of folks are just clicking on the news and whichever channel you subscribe to or watch is what you, your worldview is going to be dramatically shaped by that. Um, you know, how many people read a book? <laughs> you know, right? uh, how many people listen to a news-oriented podcast or have these kinds of conversations? Most folks are just trying to pay bills and survive and, and you know, I guess grow their own, their own fiefdom, if you will. <laughs> um, so it's just been fascinating to see the young folks. And I just feel for the young people who've had to endure these shocks, these economic shocks and just... You know, and then wonder why they're in the street. Wonder why they're saying this system didn't work. Um, you know, and you had you had the uh, who were the folks called who were in New York who were in the street. I'm blanking on the name, but the protest that happened, I think back in what 14 and 2014, 2015, um, when folks were in the, in the street that summer. It's the same the same thing. I mean, the whole thing about college education, you know, people having to pay a quarter million dollars and borrowing money to go to get a college education and that degree don't get you as much. And we know if you're black, it don't get you even less. I mean, you know, just just in terms of names on the resume, I mean, all the research around that um, and, and, and what's happening in corporate America and what the deal is there. So we just have this this gap between the reality of, of what America you know is and what America claims to be or, or, or says it's, it's striving to be. And that's why all these statues are coming down, the Confederate flag is coming down, because we, we have to get real. And those things are nice, but, but there's so many more things we have to do to end the violence, right? And I've said it before, poverty is violence, right? Um, so we have the, the police brutality of violence, we have the COVID, the medical system, people uninsured, violence, people who can't make a living wage, to own a home, violence. So how do we end the violence? That's really what the protest is about, is that these economic shocks are a level of violence on our most vulnerable people, and people just want to live, and people don't want to be abused and take advantage of, taken advantage of and have to experience this kind of violence, right? And I think that's at the heart of who Christ Jesus is, and, and I fear so many of my, my white Christian brothers miss that point and want to get caught up on you know republican politics democratic politics i think ice t i heard said that both both two different wings of the same bird <laughs> that was an app a description um in terms of how we look at this country and who we, we say we want to be and, and what this country is is supposed to be about so we get caught up on these things and who's good and who's bad but um I, I just want a government that's going to be accountable, right, and, and open to improving the lives of all of its citizens. So I think that's it at the end of the day, not special interests, not your friends, not the wealthy, but who's going to make the best decisions for all 330 million of us and to have a more loving, just and fair and equitable society, right? And I think our young people, by and large, I think there's a, a strong, I would even say a uh, beyond a consensus that that's what 
the world needs to be and there's an energy. And of course, remember that John Lewis just passed away and to think that he was 23 years old when he spoke at the March on Washington and they had to you know, edit his speech you know, the hour before he was supposed to give it because it was so radical. So, you know, this is that generation's time. And uh, Dr. King was 34 at that time. And, and so you just kind of say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in my early 40s. How do I stand with these young folks who are pushing for what we need to push for? And for those of you who read or listened to the podcast last week or read the blog, Trinity College, that was that, that's what that was about. Is this documenting that history because this is not new. And, you know, when you're young, you think it's new. You think it's your fight. And, yeah, it's your fight in that season, but it's not a new fight. It's been an ongoing fight. And then also you're not alone in that fight, right? So we'll, we'll talk probably more about that in, that in this space as we get back to it. Um, you know, starting to have a dialogue with the college and just, you know, wondering how much time do I want to invest or can I invest? And I'm praying on that one. Um, because I, you know, invested a good deal of time just writing that that blog and, and recording it, and it brought back a lot of memories, good and bad, you know, about that season. You know, I had to endure quite a bit. You know, people calling me the N-word on uh, chat rooms back in the day. The college did nothing. Faculty somewhat regularly would um, antagonize me and say things to me, um, and I said things back to them. But even worse than that, they would say things behind my back to my fellow classmates and then I'd have to hear about it, you know. Um, and of course, the administration, different leaders, adults. You know, I'm 19, 20, 21 years old, running around crazy. Lord knows I did not do everything perfect, but just the antipathy and uh, outright attacks. You know, and no one ever apologized to me for that, <laughs> you know. So I told one of my classmates, that was the love letter I wrote to Trinity. They don't want to see the hate letter, the angry, the angry letter. And um, that was the love letter that, you know, hey, my beloved community at Trinity College, we can still get this right. And my, you know, beloved community here in America, we can hopefully get this right, too. Right. Um, that's the that's the dream. So but for me, beginning again, you know. I look back at the, the timeline of the last 20 years, I got laid off from a, a, non, a now defunct nonprofit back in 2003 after 13 months and they, they didn't get a grant and say so they pulled all of us into a room and, and five of us including myself and laid us off at one fell swoop so I remember that I landed on my feet at GW was there for six and a half years so of course you know at the about a year ago I had my new beginnings podcast I think it's episode five you can go back and listen to that I had a blog short blog with a link to it as well took a job at a Cook Ross diversity and consulting firm and really enjoyed my time there. But after nine and a half months, I, you know, me and almost half of my colleagues were also let go. And so it's just like, wow, like, you know, 20 years, two layoffs, <laughs> you know, and I was just really grasping, you know, as to why I was there for the nine months I was there. I was really trying to understand. I, I was, I felt I was deeply underemployed for what I'm capable of. So I had to humble myself. Um, and, and listen and learn and make connections and just seek to grow and leverage the opportunity and not knowing how long I'd be there. And that was also one of the questions I had put before God is how long I'm going to be in this space, right, uh, with these folks. And I, I enjoyed the people. I, I've learned so much from being there and it, it really helps me looking forward. So I'm beginning again myself because I really feel like 
even though I've been laid off, I now have a fresh start as an entrepreneur. I think when I um, made that beginning, New Beginnings episode, I was really thinking about, you know, I had really done some deep soul searching and and prayer and um, took an amazing um, pay what you want course um, uh, with the Christ-centered entrepreneur, um, Shay Bynes, Grace Over Grind. She has two quick read books that are really great. Um, The podcast that's really amazing I listen to regularly as well to really search myself as to my entrepreneurial ambition and, and, and where I had misplaced my efforts and my focus to try to be more Christ-centered in what I'm doing in my approach and, and really learn to operate in God's kingdom, not in my kingdom, right? <laughs> to the extent I have, I have a kingdom. I rem- remind people during quarantine, I live with three females, so I've survived, right? Two daughters and a wife. <laughs> so with whatever my, my little kingdom, this podcast is probably the extent of my kingdom. <laughs> So thanks for listening to Leadership Legacy and Love. This is Russell Fugit. I'll do that reset as I come to a conclusion here. Um, and so, yeah, I've just had to, to look at a, a new a new beginning, beginning again, you know, uh, less than a year later. And so I just think about the last 20 years and the, and the challenges I've had to endure and understanding the, the, um, the obstacles I faced. Um, I think some there have been a couple instances where I certainly thought because of race, um, but it's just been so many challenges. And one of the things I really had to come to grips with and have to now make sure I really stay in that lane is really feeling a responsibility to take after my uncle's legacy. My uncle Reginald F. Lewis, you can Google him, L-E-W-I-S, and really trying to fill that gap that wasn't mine to fill, right? So now it's really been about after a lot of prayer and understanding, it's a season of building. So as opposed to looking to acquire, right, it's about building. And I've always dreamed about having infrastructure, right, having uh, multiple ventures under an umbrella with infrastructure to impact, right? And that's really what I've dreamed about um, broadly. And I've always you know, gotten into the thing about the communications. I think, you know, communicating, being able to tell stories, um, then having, you know, technology has always been a, a piece of what I've wanted to do as well. <clears throat> so I have some interesting ventures um, that I'm working on, um, a couple projects that I'm working on um, that kind of fill that gap. And most specifically, I'm, of course, I'm relaunching Good Word Digital. And I'm going to talk later this week about that and um, in a simulcast, relaunching some some elements uh, associated more with Good Word Digital, but I want to share it in this space as well, where I know people have been rocking with me, particularly these last you know four or five months. Um, so I'm really excited about what God's doing and just trying to stay, um, stay in the flow of the spirit to understand in this season, because it's kind of scary. You, you know, things got tough last summer. You take a job, you got some breathing room, you got some time to reflect. You know, with, with the you know consistent paycheck, the business was still throwing off a little bit of revenue, which was cool. So you had some time, almost had a, a mental break <clears throat> or a chance to have a mental shift, right, in terms of my focus and my energy and my time. And I really appreciate that. And then for the you know, COVID to hit, and then it's suddenly over. When you're thinking you're at least going to stick around for a year or two um, at Cook Ross, and then it's just over. So obviously God had a plan. 
and God had a timing that I could never understand. How could any of us been understood, you know, that, you know, if I had a burning bush six months ago, <laughs> God said, you're going to, you know, be laid off and, you know, the world's going to go into a pandemic and you're not going to go back to South Africa this year, which I was planning on as well, or early next year, um, was planning on that too. Don't think either of those are going to happen now. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, you know, understood it. I wouldn't have believed it, but so I think now it's just a matter of, okay, God, this is great. I have a fresh start, a new beginning. I have some resources. I have a great team. What's Good Word Digital going to do? So I'm going to start talking about that. And then in short order, I have a couple other projects that are, that are going to begin to roll out in various forms. Um, but you're going to be hearing more from me in different spaces. I'm going to be telling stories. Um, and, that's, and that's Good Word Digital's eternal ROI. Right. And that was one of the things I learned is what is my business's eternal ROI? Right. So, of course, we want to make money. Of course, we want to, you know, do certain things. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not even really that motivated by that. Right. <laughs> Which is may may sound you know, weird um, to some folks. But I think what really motivates me is like, what is Good Word Digital's legacy going to be? Like what if we do if we take care of people, if we love people, if we treat people the right way, then what we what what will result will be everything I could ever dream of and more, and and most importantly for this season, and I really learned this perhaps the biggest lesson I learned at Cook Ross is the value of community, and I'm tremendously blessed to still be a part of a community there, and I uh, learned to you know the community has tremendous value, and that being isolated is is very difficult to be successful when you're isolated, and so I've always had great help and great resources and people who were generous in their time and partnering with me and working with me. But nonetheless, I felt greatly isolated in my efforts right day to day in terms of the level of responsibility that fell squarely on my shoulders to succeed and make a venture or business opportunity go forward. And I think in this season, it's really been about building community. So that's what we're going to do. And again, I don't want to give too much away for the next episode of this podcast, but really it's going to be about building community. Um, with the spirit of, of generosity and building people up and telling people stories um, and, and building infrastructure um, around community to uh, foster productive business interactions and to bring value to the marketplace. I think it's really that simple. Um, so really sticking to those values, there's a few ways we're going to kind of roll that out in a few different umbrellas in the coming you know, few months. And so I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for that. But it's just been such a fascinating time. Um, to have to kind of look at that that beginning again, coming back to that you know pivot. I've had the pain in the pivot podcast, right? And this has been painful. Just I think um, seeing what the world is going through, um, and understanding the 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 enemy that we have to confront, and the enemy we have to confront. Um, I think again, Eddie Gloud said this, and Baldwin said, "Is is us, right? Is us." Is us is our desire to control, to be, or feel superior. Um, our greed, our ambition, our lust, our and the enemy is us, and, and the the lie of of white supremacy, of white superiority, really encapsulates so many things in our society. It was even an interesting opinion piece. I think it was in the Times, New York Times, about. How even the whole idea of meritocracy is kind of wrapped up in this a little bit and how 
20 years ago, a lot of kids were optimistic, you know, coming out of college, you know, go to grad school, get a job, etc. And now, you know, there's not that level of optimism about, you know, the pathway into the American dream of that middle class life, you know, you know, get married, have 2.5 kids in the house and live happily ever after that. That seems to be a lot. I even talked to an older friend of mine in his 70s who has a son who's in his 30s and uh, he came out of World War Two, I believe it was or the Korean War. You know, GI Bill, etc., and you know, lived the whole life based on that American dream. This is a white gentleman, and he was questioning it. This is before COVID. Well, he was questioning that now what you know, you have to borrow all this money to go to school. Um, you know, this is so much harder and so much more expensive, particularly if you're in the urban areas where the jobs are predominantly centered, to, to really be able to get ahead. And so, what do we do about that, right? How does this all? come together. So again, I've been thinking more practically about understanding that piece and, and just wondering what will this uh, season be? And, you know, we're going to learn a lot in the next six months and beyond. Um, so we're just going to have to to see where we are. But I want to thank you so much. I feel your prayers. I feel your love. The feedback I get for this podcast, I'm grateful for if you take the time to listen. Again, I try to make sure I speak clearly. So if you want to use that, you know, speed me up and listen to this podcast in a fraction of the time, which I'm the king of doing um, that you can understand and, and listen and rock with me. So, again, thanks for listening to Leadership Legacy and Love. I'm going to end this episode with a very special guest. Um, and I recorded this back in April. My dear daughter, Natalie Josephine. We were driving. I was running some errand where I could run in. I forget what I was doing. She sat in the car. She didn't have to get out. And it was a cool afternoon, so she could just sit. And she's wanted to ride with me. And um, she just started singing. And I, I got to a stoplight, and I pulled out my phone and recorded it. And I just held the phone back there right where she could record it. And she just started singing it. And it just encourages me um, to remember um, who's in control in the midst of all this. So as I take this entrepreneurial journey and begin again in a, with a clean slate and a, and a new, this new season of entrepreneurship, and as we, as America, attempt to begin again as we look forward to the end of this year and the election and trying to get uh, a handle on COVID and our economy and so many things, I just want um, all of us to remember who's in control. So with that, I give you my daughter Natalie singing Thanks for listening to Leadership Legacy and Love. You can check out this podcast and follow me at RussellFugit.com and at RussellFugit across social media. Across social media. God bless. She just in my heart. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. She just in my heart. I'm gonna let it shine Jesus in my heart